What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, Uber hits the skids in extended trading after posting another billion-dollar loss for this quarter. Can the company maneuver a U-turn? And investors taking a bite out of McDonald's after the ouster of CEO Steve Easterbrook. Is this time to get into the stock or a new reason to drive right on through? Plus, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is sitting on a nearly $130 billion pile of cash. The desk has some thoughts on what they do with that kind of money. But first, major markets at new highs to start the week. Even the Dow, which marked its first record close in almost four months. Is this a breakout or a fake out? Pete. Well, it certainly feels like a breakout. And part of the reason I say that, Mel, is when I look at the options world, we saw nothing but huge buying right now. And we've seen it kind of moving in towards this in energy, in some of the financials. But today, it was the emerging markets. So the idea, and Dan and I talked about this months ago, but this was huge paper today. They were buying the EEM 250000 in a single print. And they were looking at other, 30000 here, 30000 there, FXI, the same sort of story. So it seems like everybody's at least playing for a breakout. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're seeing right now. Volatility shot. To me today, by the way, it's still trading right underneath 13, like 12 and a half, 1280, somewhere in that range. It's amazing to me with the market that we've got right now that people are feeling so comfortable, maybe right. too comfortable right now. So comfortable in a risk-on sort of mentality. I'm never comfortable. So this is I what what that. what what's the title of this game? Breakout or fake out? That's the title. Yes. Yeah. Breakout. Do you believe in this rally? Yeah, well, you have or to believe the S and P 500 is making a new high seemingly every day. It's not backed up by the transports, which topped out in September of 2018, the Russell in July of 2018. But the S and P is absolutely breaking out. You mentioned Mr. Buffett has 122 billion dollars sitting around. We'll talk about that later. But one of his big metrics, the one thing that he looks at and makes decisions on, is basically market cap of the broader market over GDP, and that's at levels we haven't seen since 2018. 2009. And to Pete's point, a VIX at 12 and a half in the environment we find ourselves in makes no sense. All that said, the S&P goes higher every day. So by definition, it is a breakout. Why are you looking at me funny? <laughs> believe a long that. Pause there. Yeah, I, I believe it. I know I, I haven't believed it. For the I haven't believed it for a while, but it doesn't. You know what I believe and what's reality Scary. are two different things. You know, I don't believe we should be here, but we are. So you have to make decisions based on where we are, not where I think we should be. I don't know. Financials, industrials, energy, materials, bond sell-off. I mean, all these things point to good things for the market. And I, I don't think you need to have financials or transports breaking out to all-time highs. How about breaking out of the range that they were in? And that's absolutely. Absolutely what they've done. If you look at the, the semis, which is the place that the easiest, it's the easiest opportunity to attach yourself to the rally and say, hey, look, semis, no matter where you're looking at the period from, I realize it's been a sloppy way of getting there, but you're up 22% um, from roughly that blow off high that we had back last year, which means you, you've had plenty of opportunity to sell them. And if you'd stayed in that trade the whole time, I think you're doing well. But Pete talked about the 
emerging markets. It's very important to point out, I actually think we're getting, and we've been easing into this move, where we're getting into a secular dollar week period, which is going to be very beneficial to emerging markets. And the outperformance that we've seen in Brazil uh, and even Russia over the last couple of days is very important, and it's very important to energy. And, and, it, and it times well with the Saudi Aramco IPO news and everything else you're hearing. But, but if you look at this market, the, to me, the thing that is exciting about this move is not only have you had the Fed come and go and tell you they're out of the way, you've had a payroll number which reinforces that the consumer's alive and well. You've gotten through third quarter where no one's really said that the fourth quarter looks that awful. They haven't told you it looks good. Um, and I think you have breadth in the market, which I'm waiting for Dan to push back on because he will. Um, but the bottom <laughs> line is, I think if you look at the industrials, you look at the semis, you look at small caps, you look at financials, you look at banks, um, they're the same thing. They're giving it all to you. Go, Dan. Well, I mean, maybe they are. I, you could have said the exact same thing when the market made a high in July, a new high that was an incremental high over the prior high. And, you know, the, the VIX was just below 13. Uh, it looked like we were optimistic about some trade stuff. You know, uh, bond yields stopped crashing and they're at a Goldilocks. I mean, we've said this. You know, every three or four months over the last year, year and a half. I mean, it's fine. And we but get, semis are twenty percent higher. That's fine. But, but semi, here's the thing. So, so I, I agree that semis that great, and they've been making lots of new highs, and they've been outperforming the S and P, and so is MAGA, Microsoft, Apple, Love Google, and Amazon. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, there were some good new highs in NYSE today that's showing this broadening out of this rally. But it's important to remember that we are literally just four and a half percent over the October 2018 all-time high, which was an incremental high to the January 2018 high. We're just 2.5% from the prior. My, my point is we make these incremental highs and we sell off, right? We've had some good sells. Now, that being said, there's been some great trading opportunities um, when we get these sell-offs. You know, we've had 7 8% sell-offs and you buy them, we make a new high. I just don't think you buy new highs. The only difference I would say right here is that we are heading into the end of the year and it may not make a whole lot, heck of a lot of sense to sell anything at this point because you might get that move that just just goes higher. I think the the impressive part of what we've seen, though, Dan, is that we started earnings season, right? 70% of them are beats. And, and you start looking at some of these numbers and you're like, wow, some of them have given pretty good guidance even. So when we say, well, we don't really know what's coming up next, well, we've gotten good guidance from quite a few different companies so far. So it's interesting to me to watch this whole thing as there's a much more positive sentiment, I'm seeing at least, through the earnings season than I ever would have expected when we went but, into the but earnings hold on. season. We have seen that, though, Pete. If you look at the end of April when we were in the like just the bulk of Q1 earnings season, we mm-hmm. saw a new high in the S&P 500. Then we saw it again the last week of July. It was the same commentary. It was that trade fears were going to abate and the Fed wasn't going to screw things up. That's exactly where we are right now. And if you're telling me that you think the Fed may not screw things up, then you have not been paying attention over the last 15 years, correct guy? And if you think that the trade issue is solved... Then you've not been no, paying attention to the last two years. And then have at it, except for the fact that the Fed is, is at this point gotten the market pretty straight on what they want to do, which is they're not going to hike. Right. We've, taken two, we've taken two cuts off the table for December and January. They're not hiking anytime, anytime soon. They're not going to do anything. And, and, well, and you guys make up. it sound like the Fed has control over this. Hold on, Tim. One second. Okay. okay well, well, I'll, the I'll Fed has lowered interest rates three times since July. What did we see the 10-year Treasury yield do? We saw it got cut in half in a year. The market will move the way the market's going to move. This is a massive, massive market. So the way I see it is if you're relying on the Fed to get things right and to kind of like point the direction in which yields are going, then I think you haven't been paying attention. Okay, so I'm not sure what you just said. What I'll tell you is no one's relied on the Fed. I think we've all been appropriately critical of Fed and monetary policy being the panacea for anything. In fact, if anything, they're starting to get the sense that people are looking to fiscal policy 
policy to be the answer. I do think that, that yields have probably hit, hit, hit some bottom. But more importantly, we're, we're addressing company fundamentals. And we know, and this happened, in, this happened, I think, in the first couple quarters of 2016. Everybody assumed we were careening off the road into a recession. We're not going into a recession. We're going to get GDP in a couple of days. Granted, it's third quarter GDP. It's backward looking. But we're going to see we're at 2%. We're, we're nowhere near careening off a cliff. And if you look at banks, they behave that way. If you look at industrials, they behave that way. And by the way, so we now have mega cap. Hold on. We've got Google. We've got Amazon. We've got Apple. We've got the biggest companies in the world joining in the companies you said would never participate, which actually are doing something in terms of banks, small caps, uh, and industrials. That, that to me Wake is a me up when, they all make, when the banks make new highs. Okay? Who, cares I, about, guys, who cares about all-time highs? Because I care it about really matters when yesterday. you're talking about breath and when you're talking about how a market it's, is where it is. They've how participated it has for the last two months. Market. They have. Can I interrupt here? Well, you run the show. Yeah, it's your show. I was going to say, Guy. Yes, Melissa. When you say price is truth. That's why when I say price is truth, people get mad at me. Right. But because, every, because all the information but, 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 that you can take in, right. you, the thing you base your decisions on are where things are, are trading. Going, yeah. The decision to buy or sell Apple at 257 is much different if it were trading 185. So when I say that, that's what I mean. The end decision is made based on where things are trading. So here we are at the S&P 500 at all-time highs. It's hard for me to say it's not breaking out. It's clear as day that it's breaking though, out to the upside. Even though many fibers in your being for the last, want Hold on. For the last, don't talk about fiber in his being. Yeah, that's okay, a good that's, point. Okay. Thank you, sorry. Right. Because, that's a good yeah, point. That's, and, good point. that's an excellent e- even point by though, Even though when you look at what is happening, valuations in the market, fundamentals in the market, you don't necessarily want to believe the rally. But you have to believe it. But you it. are. Yeah, I mean, it's the old thing. The market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And you can argue whether or not it's rational or not. It's not the point. We started it with Mr. Buffett's $122 billion cash hoard. And we'll talk about why he has that. And the point I made earlier is the one metric that he uses to look at the market, whether it's overbought, oversold, is absolutely, by any definition, at 146% market cap to GDP is flashing red. Coming up, Uber careening after reporting results. That earnings call is just getting underway. We'll break down all the big headlines. And we're also keeping an eye on shares of Shake Shack. That stock tumbling after hours in the back of its report, down 15.5%. We'll have the highlights from the call as well. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Uber, the rideshare giant moving downhill after reporting another billion-dollar loss. We've got full-team coverage standing by to break down the results. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is listening in on the earnings call, but we get the latest from Uber's quarter from Josh Lipton, live for us in San Francisco. Hey, Josh. So, uh, Melissa, CNBC's own Deidre Bosa actually spoke with uh, Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi and asked him just point blank, uh, when does Uber break even? Here was his response. We increased our 2019, the midpoint of our guidance in as far as EBITDA goes by $250 million. Uh, and I'll tell you, Deirdre, while we haven't finalized our planning 
uh, and it's going to take a lot of hard work from, from a lot of folks. We are actually targeting 2021 for adjusted EBITDA profitability full year. I also checked in with uh, Oppenheimer's Jason Helfstein just to get his take on the quarter. Uh, in his opinion, the quarter was solid, Melissa. He says the ride business was quite healthy. His words, revenue was there up 23 percent. The street was closer to up around 16 percent. He says there will be questions, though, around eats, um, specifically with revenue largely in line on lower eats gross bookings. Profitability metrics, at least versus his estimates, he said were better than expected. He was actually modeling uh, 2022. Um, so Dara's goal there, 2021, a year ahead of schedule for him. Um, on the call, which just started, um, Dara Kozrashai is starting off right about regulations, um, knowing that they'll continue to focus on productive engagement. He knows how regulations here in California have certainly generated a lot of interest. Remember, lawmakers here would require uh, gig economy workers to be reclassified as, as employees instead of contractors. Um, Dara Kozrashai says they're putting a ballot to voters here in California on that issue. And finally, let's remember, this isn't just the only news we get about Uber this week, that uh, it's IPO lockup that expire on November 6th. Back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Um, what do you make of Uber so far? I mean, it's interesting, the reaction to Uber stock here compared to when Lyft said that it would be also adjusted EBITDA profitable by 2021, which is a year. Yeah, same time frame. You're earlier than expected. Uh, and we have a, a down 6% in Uber. It, it just sounds, first of all, that was not emphatic. There was nothing I heard. Oh, no. it was like, ah, we may, maybe we'll model it out. Maybe we'll get there. We think we want to get to a place where we're EBITDA positive by, you know, Q4, uh, 2021, um, which Lyft's already gone out there and said, I think, in a much more succinct way. Um, it, you know, there's a couple things here. You, you have this, this lockup avalanche that's coming out. You have, uh, they've broken the company down into five core businesses, but there's really only two. Um, and I think a lot of people would rather only see one. So this is the whole dynamic here. And if you look at, there's some stock compensation issues, which added significantly to the loss. And I think people are concerned about that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there's nothing here that makes you think that they've turned the corner. And if you look at a structural uh, lack of profitability, I don't think you stop thinking that as of now. Well, it's interesting. We're getting a sense just year over year. Think about this. When VCs were investing in this company, and they were investing last year, okay, they were investing for these other levers. They were investing so they could grow Uber Eats, that sort of thing. The public markets are speaking here. They don't like the fact that like one business is subsidizing the other, and the whole is losing money, and therefore we can only say we are targeting EBITDA positive two years out from now or whatever the, the time frame is. So, listen, this company very soon is going to actually have to scale back their ambitions for things other than rideshare and autonomous. Because at the end of the day, if they're telling us that they can be positive in rideshare or they can be profitable in rideshare, then the public markets just aren't going to put up for it. And that, what I think is going to be a really interesting thing to see over the next year or so, which brings us back real quickly to Lyft, why it did perceptually, it kind of acted a little bit better when they said oh, yeah. this, because they're just North American rideshare. Right. Yeah, people like, they like the business model, I think, of Lyft right now, at least. Right now, they like that model better. And because of that, you just mentioned it, I mean, that's the thing that stood out for me is they continue to lose money at an unbelievable pace. Yeah, they're going to make money in 2021, so we finally have a path for profitability. But Mel, that's still out there enough that I don't, I, you've got to be very patient if you're waiting for Uber and, and to see, can they transform the company into the company they think they can? Right. Uh, for more reaction to Uber earnings, let's bring in Loop Ventures founder, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. So, um, Gene, we see the reaction to the stock. We heard uh, what Dara Khazrashahi said about being profitable. Do you believe him? Melissa, no, I, I think it's going to take a long time. And I totally agree with Dan that they're going to have to cut some project to ultimately get there. 
a lot of the language would have expected that the stock trades a little bit better in the aftermarket. I think the market's sending that same message. This is just a little difficult to believe. We have a lockup expiration as well coming down the pike this week. Um, and some estimates say 90% of the shares outstanding will become eligible for trading, Gene. In your view, could that be a buying opportunity at all? I think for people who have a five-year outlook, it's a buying opportunity, Mel. I think if you have a one-year, this is still uh, essentially venture capital. I think that's the best way to think about investing in uh, uh, Uber here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to be cutting some of these other projects. The autonomy project, ultimately, still surprised that that's around, especially given some of the litigation. Uh, those are other things that can kind of corrupt the stock in the near term. And so my belief is this is an undeniable opportunity around uh, the way people are moving, autonomy, the, that future. Uh, Uber and Lyft both have a pole position within that. But as far as investing in the near term over the next year, it's still going to be a wild ride. And I think tonight's uh, results in the uh, reaction to the stock and the aftermarket's evidence of that. Hey, Gene, uh, he, they talk about that, that ride uh, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA is up 52% and will now cover corporate overhead costs. What does that statement actually mean? Because that makes it sound like they could be profitable on this core business. And, you know, Dan was talking about the, the fact that the other businesses aren't going to be supported by a core that's not even profitable. Is it profitable now? And should people take heart in that? Well, I don't think that they should take heart in that, and ultimately because they have these other businesses. This is the reason why I think that Lyft is the better play here. And so, yes, it is uh, uh, some sign. It's a, it's a positive indication around that. But, again, this company has some massive uh, kind of a, a view of the future. It's not just eats. It's freight. It's jobs. Uh, you know, they have uh, the autonomous project going on. So, uh, yes, that is a positive sign, but ultimately I think there's some – uh, bigger X factors in play. And if I was going to kind of, Tim, put all this together, I, I generally agree things are inching the right direction, but uh, ultimately this company has a lot of work to do. Clearly a lot of work to do, but you mentioned freight. I mean, I think freight revenues up 85% year over year. Is that a place where maybe they're going to catch lightning in a bottle, or is that just sort of an outlier, Gene? Still too small. I think that this is uh, an indicate. This is a business that is. It's nice to talk about those kind of growth rates, but it's such a small part of the the overall business. I don't think we can put too much into it. There's something else that I want to point out when we think about this kind of the road forward here with Uber that Josh mentioned, and this concept about the the litigation that's going on, or I should say, the regulation that's going on. Uh, State of California. They talked about nine percent of the rides come from California. But something caught my attention when the CEO was talking about this, and he said that Lyft, along with DoorDash, this is well-known, but Lyft, DoorDash, and Uber are all getting together to uh, really tackle this uh, legislation and come out with a new ballot, essentially that's more fair to the ride-sharing players. And I thought that the fact that those three, which are fierce competitors, are working together on this, I think it speaks to uh, the significance of what's going on around the regulatory environment. And as an investor, it's important to realize that these are not solved overnight. But if you take the step and say that there's going to be more generous treatment of the drivers over time, that puts this target of profitability into 2021 as uh, essentially a best guess, uh, uh, best guess kind of perspective. All right. Gene, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for your time. Good to see you. Gene Munster you. of Loop Ventures. I think that's a good point. I mean, if, if that is going to be an issue then that will really impact whether or not either of these companies can hit those 
2021 profitability targets. Right, and I guess the point that he's making, and, and it's kind of the point that I made, is that it lift is just you can draw a straighter line. I mean, even if they're not profitable right now, and that's the only thing they do, and Uber's saying we could be profitable in that business, they have much greater market share, um, and they've spent a lot more to get there. Um, I'll just make one point. You know, we saw this with WeWork. We saw valuations. We saw a $47 billion valuation go to $7.5 billion in a matter of weeks. Don't think you couldn't see that again in the public markets. But by the same token, think about the leverage. If Dara decides to light VC capital on fire that they raised over the last couple of years before he was even CEO, the public equity is going to rip. Meaning if they were to pull the cord on Uber Eats, which is what VCs right. were funding, um, then this thing would be valued, I think, higher because people would say they're going to get to profitability faster. All right, let's turn to another mover after our Shake Shack plummeting after reporting results. Let's get to Frank Holland back at headquarters with more on this story. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Melissa. Shake Shack shares falling more than 15 percent on weak outlook for 2020 openings of company-owned and licensed stores. Also, the company missing estimates for same-store sales by a half a percent this quarter and lowering its same-store sales guidance by a half a percent for the full year. We spoke with Nick Sation from Wedbush. He had a lot of questions about the quarter. He said, when are you going to take a price increase? They've been taking a percent and a half price increase, about half the rate of competitors. Longer term, there is a profitability level. Is there a profitability level that you really want to defend Profitability is declining more rapidly than the long-term guidance would imply. Lauren Silberman from Credit Suisse also very critical, saying EPS is a tax-driven beat, and Shaq missed on same-store sales and restaurant margins. Shaq lowered fiscal year 19 guidance, which implies a pretty significant deceleration for the fourth quarter. But Q3 wasn't all bad. The company reporting revenues in line, EPS six cents above estimates. The company also raises revenue guidance for the full year and its forecast for licensed store growth for this year still shares down more than 15 percent in after hours trading. Back over to you. All right, Frank, thank you. Frank Holland. Uh, Guy, didn't you like this into earnings? I did. And I worked there. So it was a sort yes. of the double whammy. So my, so my feel thesis- responsible? No, I don't feel responsible. I just ask you. You have to be defensive. I just give no, I actually question. have. I, I've Sorry. dined there, and I will tell you that the, sh- the shakes are outstanding. And that's, I guess, why the name is Shake, Shake Shack. Shack. Interesting. Anyway. So the move from one, I, in my opinion, thought the move from 105 in the fall down to 84 or so where we closed on Friday was enough. 19% short interest. We understood the valuation was ridiculous. But I thought the quarter would give you enough where we'd see a bounce. And these are the levels sort of we took off from over the summer. R-O-N-G wrong. Now you have to find the next level. The next level sort of is 71, and if you go back and look, you'll understand why. But it's very hard now to make an impressive bull thesis based on the quarter they just delivered. I was just sorry. I was trying to spell wrong. And R-O-N-G. R-O-N-G. Like it's so wrong, there's no W. Right. I'm a little slow. Just like so, it's so thanks. dumb, there's no Come on, B. Tim, get with it. <laughs> right. So, anyway. And what seems to be wrong in, in the aftermarket is the fact that this is a high-growth company. We've talked about the valuation. I would be. I don't care even as much about the gross margins, but when when they're opening fewer stores, the same store sales uh, you know, weakness and miss to me is troubling. And I think they have a great brand. I think they have built a brand that isn't just because it's in high density, high concentration places. And I think it will be proven across the country. But for now, this multiple cannot support that. Let's get to Groupon. Those numbers are just crossing. Let's get to Seema Modi at headquarters with the details. Hey, Seema. And it's a miss, uh, Melissa, on earnings and revenue for Groupon. And that's why the stock is down as much as 8% here in extended trade. Groupon CEO Rich Williams saying it continues to face challenges from traffic and international macroeconomic conditions. The company also referencing weak consumer sentiment in Europe, uh, intense competition, and 
a customer shift towards lower-priced and lower-margin offerings. Overall, international gross profit in the third quarter for Groupon decreasing 16%. You take a look at a long-term chart, Melissa. This is a company that went public back in 2011 at $20 a share on the Nasdaq. You can see now trading just below $3 a share. Uh, low barriers to entry has really hurt the company's market share and its growth, not just here in North America, but overseas as well. Back to you. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi at headquarters. What happens to a company like Groupon, Dan? They go to zero. I, I mean, it's sad, um, you know, but we've seen this before. And I think it's really interesting that for years until we had that Web 2.0 push, it was the Zingas or the Groupons. Then we saw Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that. And some of them obviously have done very well, but most of them haven't done particularly well. And we're starting to see that now because for the last couple of years, we've been talking about this unicorn Zootopia or whatever the heck you want to call it. I mean, it was just going to be this amazing sort of thing. And now we spend a lot of time on this show every night talking about why do they act so poorly, you know? Right. And so maybe it's just been a function of 0% interest rates for too long, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of these things should never have been public. For more on all of today's earnings, from Uber to Shake Shack and more, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up next. Scandals rocking the stocks at both McDonald's and Under Armour today. We'll break down what's next for the companies and whether you should stay away. Plus, billionaire Leon Cooperman has a dire warning for the market heading into next year's presidential election. We'll dissect the latest jab in his war with Elizabeth Warren. All that and more when Fast Money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi. A Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is the tale of two scandalous stocks today. McDonald's falling after the company asked its CEO for having a relationship with an employee which violated company policy. And Under Armour cratering after the company cut its revenue outlook and revealed a federal investigation into its accounting practices. Let's dig in on both. We begin here with McDonald's. CEO Steve Easterbrook is out. The stock is coming off its worst month in a decade. So is it really time to get in right now, Pete? Well, it's the first, you know, they went two years without missing and suddenly they report earnings and they missed. And they also were really stretched, Mel. So this is a, a stock that was already up in the 200s before this whole thing broke this past weekend. So the stock has been breaking down a little bit, and I think because it was stretched, because the competition levels now are absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I would throw that out there for Shake Shack in terms of their earnings and the fact that they can't even get any margins anymore. I think McDonald's right now is finding themselves in a very difficult spot. And Easterbrook obviously didn't do the right thing. That's why he's gone. But it's, it's something that they've got to fix. The competition levels right now, they've done everything that they intended to do five years ago, and they've done a great job with that. But now what? 
it's the now what phase you for like them. You're questioning McDonald's. Oh, I absolutely yeah. am. Absolutely. And that's, that's totally fair. I, I, I guess I'd argue that the competitive phase for these guys, I thought was three years ago when they were kind of behind. They were behind on brand. They weren't on brand, but they were certainly behind on, in terms of the food quality, in terms of the healthfulness, in terms of technology. I think they've moved all that stuff forward. You're absolutely, I mean, the stock's been a tough, it's been a tough ride. It's underperformed the overall market by almost 14%. And I think that's a function as much of anything of just rotation overall. Look, they just reported two weeks ago. I don't think those numbers were that bad. Same store sales in the U.S. were 4.8. You want them to be around 5. International was 5.6. You want them to be around 6. But the bottom line is this company is actually growing the top line in core markets. I think this is a buy to pull back. And it's, it comes down to what's the multiple you want to pay. But I think the entire space of but that's fast, big issue, fast food is under pressure. What is the multiple you want to pay? I mean, they've got the chicken. They're, they're, they're I think you pay 16 times EV. What is it now? I think it's, 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 something well, like on, that? On yeah, EV EBITDA, I think he traded it 16 times, which makes it almost a $200 stock. Do you, do you guys wonder that there's a bigger issue here? Because to me, i, I got to tell you, when I saw the headline last night, it sounded really bad, a Sunday night news dump, you know. Um, but, you know, the guy's divorced. He had, you know, had a girlfriend, consensual. It just seems really odd to me that you would lose a guy who is the chairman of your board, the well, you CEO. You think something deeper. That's than, company policy. It's a, it's a violation it, of you can't, you can't make special policy. rules for the CEO. No, but policy, I mean, like, though, is policy. the CEO I mean, cannot I, I have a relationship he, with any employee. can't do it. Okay, okay, here's but a guy that under, under his guys, the, the stock doubled. You know, they did, they transformed, they did the value stuff, they streamlined, they got better quality food, they did the tech, they did breakfast all day, and you're going to throw him out because he, he had a girlfriend who worked the only in the company? It sounds, I, I, I just to me, it, it just sounds a little fishy to me. Smoking gun. Dan's got a smoking gun. I don't know. Filet, you know, it's funny, okay. the filet of fish at McDonald's is just heinous, so Dan mentions. You're a big McRib guy. No, I'm not a McRib I, I guy. I do like a McRib. Yeah. Quickly, you know. I don't think it's really. I don't think it's all that expensive at 22 times. You've really? seen, you've seen this company trade more expensively. You've seen other companies CEO, trade. you're willing to pay that multiple. Look, I, hold on a second. Why? I'm not saying this group, but. Two weeks ago, a month ago for sure, everyone was willing to pay higher multiple for the entire space. Now we won't do it. Look, McDonald's has changed their tune. They've turned this company around. This is a bad day, but this has had a bad moment in its stock relative to the rest of the market, which is rotating out of this stuff. Let's, Nothing changed here overnight. Let's get to Under Armour. This stock handing in its worst day in two years after the company cut its revenue outlook and separately confirmed a federal investigation into the company's accounting practices. So what is next for the stock? And my question, Guy, is can you believe... This company, can you believe this board when this investigation has been going on for two years and the company did not disclose anything (laughs) until the Wall Street Journal had an article about this? So you have to be careful with how I choose my words. But the answer is no, I don't think you can to, to all the points you just made. And we've been skeptical of the stock for quite some time for a myriad of reasons, not least of which is valuation. Valuation, and they got away from what they were core competency. They got into too many things. They probably weren't they weren't ready to be in. Women's shoes, women, it just got, they got over their skis. At a certain point, I think it's interesting. I just don't think it's here. And Pete talks about this, and I know across the desk we've said it, Lululemon on the other side has done everything right. And I think that's a legit comp in the space. Well, the losses they're getting in North America really hurt, right? Because that's two-thirds of what they take in. So that's a big problem. And they've been trying to expand internationally, which is a smart move. But to Guy's point, they've tried to go into so many different categories, and they're not really expert in those categories. And I think that's what's hurting them, plus the valuation of the stock. It is stretched. Even with this stock pulling back to where it is, you look at that with the growth that they've got and try to measure that up against Nike and Lulu, it's not the same. 
Yeah, I wonder if Steph can get out of this contract. I mean that very, very seriously. If there's some criminality here and he can get out of this contract, his this shoes brand, are selling not very it, well. They're too, not by selling the way. well. Right. They are ugly. He broke his hand. He's not playing all season. Uh, maybe he signs up with Nike next year. That would be, uh, by the way, Melissa Steph, Stephon Curry of the Golden State Warriors. I don't know if you know. You know when he, knew exactly. when he says Arpu you know. and Garth, no, you always explain it. I figured out. is a big one with you. You love the trade school guy. Trade school coming up. You've heard all about Leon Kimberman's war of words with Elizabeth Warren, but we will tell you what he had to say about the markets and where it's heading. Plus, there's one company that just raked in its biggest cash pile ever. We'll tell you what it is and whether it is worth your money. Much more Fast Money coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. The major indices all hitting record highs today, but one billionaire investor says those gains could be in trouble come 2020. Listen to what Leon Cooperman said earlier today on CNBC. I think the election is very, very important. And if we tilt to the left, it's going to be a very big negative for the stock market. It'll be a negative for multiples, it'll be negative for profits. I think Elizabeth Warren comes across to me, to be honest with you, as a hater. Basically, she wants to do something damage to business. She wants to do damage to wealthy people. She uh, seems to resent wealthy people. Bernie Sanders is the same. And I see it differently. Cooperman has been in a war of words with Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren over her proposed wealth tax. We did ask him about that and the overall political divide in America. At times, Cooperman got emotional, including during this exchange. People can not only see the emotion on your face, but hear it in your voice when you talk about this, Lee. Why? I care. That's it. And we urge you to take a look at the full interview with Leon Cooperman on our website, CNBC.com. Um, let's get back to Cooperman's take, though, on the markets. He says a political left would be, a bad, would be bad for stocks. So is the 2020 election the next big wild card for the markets? And, of course, we always preface these conversations with saying we don't We're like to be a political show. We're not assessing the validity of the candidates' proposals or anything like that, but simply how the market perceives them and therefore how the markets will move in response to them. So, Tim, what do you think? Of course. Look, I I don't think we we think about it as we break it down on a sector basis when we talk about health care, we talk about the regulatory overhang on mega cap tech. I mean, there's no question. More regulation means lower multiples. And if you think about what happened to banks immediately after the elections, they were the most, uh, they were certainly one of the great beneficiaries of not only um, a change in the White House, but a change across really all three of, of the legislative branches, including the judiciary. So you have a case here where I don't think that stocks have begun to factor in any change from the status quo right now. And that includes what may or may not be going on in Washington. Independent of political view, um, there's no question this administration has been has been hands off. This administration has left companies do what they want to do. It's given companies back uh, a lot more money in the form of, of, of a tax bill. It's pushed for lower rates. It's pushed on the Federal Reserve. This is all market friendly, even if somebody's paying in the end. So any change from that? Of course, stocks are going to suffer. And I think that's key, change in the status quo in terms of understanding how the markets might move. We had countless predictions in the last election Mm. of how if President Trump got elected, the markets would go down precipitously. That would have marked a change, right, from a Democratic administration as opposed to a a Hillary Clinton victory. And so it's that context. It's that sort of nobody's looking at 
the change in the environment at this right. point. Well, I, I think what people are looking at, however, would be this. is This is a much different left, if that's what we're going to call it, sure. left than yes. what we've had in the past. And because of that, that's where I think the fear side of it is. And some of it is fear-mongering and some of it, you know, whatever it might be. But we've all have been here. We've been trading for a long time, all of us uh, on the desk. And I just look at it this way, Mel. You just have to adjust to the environment that you're in. So it's going to be a much different environment, absolutely, because to Tim's point, they've been very hands-off right now with the Trump administration. It will not be like that at all if it's Elizabeth Warren or Biden or any of the other candidates that might win. You know, listen, it's, it's a little too early to be handicapping this, and that's how you preface this thing. I would just say this. is If you look at the last year, three years of the Trump administration, they really got one legislative thing through, and that was the tax cuts, and that helped fuel a lot of this kind of pro-business sort of environment. But at the end of the day, if Elizabeth Warren, let's say, was the candidate and was elected, you know, she's likely to have a divided Congress. She's likely to get one legislative thing, and maybe that's a rollback of some of the taxes, and that may not be the end of the world either. I'm, you know, I'm just saying, so I just think it's really early to kind of speculate who the nominee is going to be, trade markets based on that sort of thing. And I think you just have to remember that she's trying to outleft everybody in this 20 candidate field. Right. It, to win in the general, she's going to have to come all the way back, at least just kind of a little bit to the left. And that's just the way it is. And she gets one legislative thing if she wins. And obviously to state the obvious, a lot of it has to do where the market is at the time. Remember, right. President Obama got elected in 08, January of 09, and the market bottomed out in March, and it was probably, for the, for the eight years he was there, some of the best market performance in history. Up next, from one billionaire to the next, we've got 128 billion reasons why Warren Buffett got our attention today. We'll explain. Plus, investors have been loving shares of Match Group this year. We'll tell you how options traders are setting up for tomorrow's results. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Some big news over the weekend from one stock that's been trailing the market. Uh, it's just up 7% this year compared to a 23% gain for the S&P 500. Its CEO is 89 years old. There's no clear succession plan. And the company just announced a record pile of cash. Do you know what the stock is? Um, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Guess guy. that. <laughs> You're right. Warren Buffett's company revealing over the weekend it is sitting on a record $128 billion in cash. So lagging the market, sitting on a boatload of cash. How do you feel about Berkshire Hathaway, Dan? Well, first thing, you know, it's interesting. We talk about the XLF all the time. It's the largest holding in the XLF. And it's one of the reasons why that thing is actually performing the way the market is, despite some of the biggest names the bank stock's doing really well. I mean, listen, I, I think this is a really interesting situation. This guy has done the best things during crises. I think he probably wishes that we'd have some form of crises so he can get all those warrants and all that stuff that he does. I think he probably has a harder time investing in big companies right now. We could use plenty of examples, Axon, IBM, over the last few years. If I had described that company and said to Guy, does this sound like a company that you would invest in what would you tell me? It's interesting, right? I like if you didn't know the name you of it. You didn't know the name of the company, but I told you all, it was like underperforming the S&P 500. CEO's 89 yeah. years old. No Short answer would be age. If you didn't know. Age notwithstanding, I'd say, <laughs> you know, no, probably not. It's probably, there are probably better places to be. But the bigger question and what we're going to delve into now is why, what does he see that's having him sit on a record amount of cash? And not buying a lot of his own stock. Exactly. That's the other thing. What kind of signal does that? The amount of stock that he's bought is less than what the amount Jamie Dimon has bought in J.P. Morgan in one quarter. 
So are you asking us how to spend the money yet? I'm trying to, if we get into the punch. Where are we at? Do to answer this have the right I, way, Mel? Have I said to you, how would you spend him $128 billion? No, it's funny, Mel. Have I said that? No, I have yet. not no, said okay. that. All right, I'm I've on hold not then. said that. I'm on hold. So why isn't he buying back the companies that he owns Does that send a bad signal to you? It's Look, this is a man who at some point shows tremendous discipline, though. And I think if he said, I'm waiting to buy at a certain level, I think, you know, that makes sense to me. I also think this is a guy Dan pointed out. I would I would emphasize he does not like to overpay for anything. And I think he's got a history of trying to buy things at, at, at cheap levels. We'll see. OK. Now, I am not asking you okay. what you would do with one hundred twenty eight billion dollars in cash yet. We okay. want to put that pile of cash into context first. OK. That amount is bigger than the market cap of two Teslas put together. It is more than the GDPs of over two thirds of the countries in the world. And it is enough to buy one of the most expensive castles in the world. In case you didn't know which that was. That would be the Ireland's Ashford Castle. Ashford Castle almost 1,900 oh. times. Castles. So that got us thinking. Mm. If you each had $128 billion, what would you buy? I'm asking that question okay, now. What would you buy? I'm going to start with Guy. Does the Ashford Castle come with Simpson? <laughs> that's good. I love the laugh track, too. Cracking the stuff up again. I think that's one of, that's one of Guy's best funny. jokes ever. No, Peter 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 All right, so I'm going to answer the question. Yes. I had a, that, that was just hanging there yeah. for me. I'd buy the following. I'd buy Biogen, because if they get Alzheimer's right, the stock will double. It'll probably cost you $65 billion-ish. And I'd buy Newmont Mining, because Tim said something earlier about the U.S. dollar weakening. I still think gold's going higher. That'll probably cost you $45, $50 billion. You have a little money left over for, uh, you know, you go to the fair or something at Ashford and Simpson Castle. <laughs> Uh, so can I tell you what I would do? Yes, I, I would make a new media and services, a mobile services company. Um, I might even call it the We Company to compete with WeChat, but this is for... The, the We Company is WeWork. Well, here's what I would do. I would buy Twitter. I would buy Snap. I would buy Spotify, and I would buy EA. And I would think about what WeChat does really well and kind of figure out what a payments thing is. I'd put all those things together. Those people over there, they care about the services. They don't really care about the hardware as much anymore. And then I'd kind of recruit a Mark Cuban to run the whole thing. Maybe throw in a little Pinterest, get a little e-commerce. How do all these things combine, though? Combined with the premium, I think you get to 130, and you get all these guys. Listen, somebody's got to compete with the Apples and the Googles of the world, and I think it's got to be somewhere else. <clears throat> all right. Um, you jumped the gun. I'm not going to use Oh, snap. Hey, <laughs> what would you buy? Doghouse. If I were Buffett right now, the two stocks that are already in his portfolio that I would just take the entire stocks out would be Delta, and then I'd go to DeVita. And the reason oh. I say that is you're talking about two different companies that are obviously in different worlds. He'd have to sell the rest of his airline stocks to be able to do this. That provides him a little bit more cash, so he's not even spending as much. And you're talking about great free, free cash flow, and you look at PEs that are very tolerable. I look at DeVita. This is a name he already owns 25% of the company. Why wouldn't he own the entire thing? And I think it makes so much sense because great free cash flow trades at a very low multiple. It is the Buffett style. And when you looked at that chart of, of Berkshire, I think the big thing when you look at that is he's looking for a dumpster fire. He wants to, there to be blood in the streets to buy, so he's got his $128 million just waiting. Billion. Waiting. Interestingly, yes. we ask you all separately, separately what you would buy, what we and do. you and Pete 
both said Delta. Yeah, wow. so I, I, I agree with Pete. First of all, 36 cool billion takes you Delta down. It's the best airline right now operating in the U.S. It's arguably the best value for the money, seven and a half times trailing, eight times forward. Um, he loves transport, so keep buying Delta. Look, I have to go back to Heinz Craft. This is a company that he bought at $50 billion. It's now trading at $36 billion. You guys can do the math. Um, I'd buy half of this back right now. I know he says he doesn't want to chase this thing, but he's someone that owns for 10 years. And this is someone that I think ultimately believed in those brands. This is someone that doesn't stray too far from his knitting. And finally, back to Apple. Again, think about the portfolio he holds. Why not add to a core holding with a company that continues to re-rate? Look, he loves healthcare. He loves insurance. They're getting into wearables. This is a place Apple, uh, I think, is going to be a major part of. And then I'd put $50 billion in the bank and wait for that bloodletting that you guys are talking about. And, and, I'd, Dry powder. and be, I'd be ready. Yeah. Up next, Match Group gearing up to report earnings tomorrow. But will results leave investors feeling brokenhearted? We're digging in. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is laying out what has really been driving the market's record rally. He's got that and more coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street has been loving Match Group this year. Shares of the parent company of Tinder are up nearly 70% in 2019, but there could be some heartbreak ahead. Oh. Options traders are closing out prior bullish bets. Heading into earnings, Dan Nathan's over at the Plaza to break it down. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah, Mel, so they report tomorrow after the close, the implied move in the options market is almost 11%. It's versus the 14.5% average over the last four quarters. And like you said, Wall Street is loving this name. It's up 66% of the year. But interestingly enough, since they last reported their earnings, the stock's down 25%. Um, interesting action today. There were sellers to close of the November 85 calls when the stock was about 71 and a half. So closing out some prior bullish bets with the stock at lower levels. Um, let's just go to the charts here. I suspect this stock is going to move 10% one way or the other. When you look at the one-year chart and you look at this support level the stock is sitting on right here, Obviously, there's a little short interest. There's some bearish sentiment near term. So to me, this thing's going to go one way or the other. I suspect if you're looking to play, you want to define your risk. All right. Thanks, Dan. For more options action, tune into our live show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast. We've got a huge lineup coming your way tomorrow. You'll hear from David Rubenstein, Ray Dalio, Jamie Dimon. Be sure to catch all those big interviews throughout the day right here on CNBC. Time for the final trade. Petey. Energy was on fire today, Mel. Apache, APA, the D's 27 and a half calls. Giddy up. Tim Seymour. We talked about emerging markets. Go to Brazil where you actually have the benefit of what I think are commodity prices finding a bottom EWZ. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, so Twitter after that disastrous quarter might be finding a little support here. Maybe play it for a trade. Ashford and Simpson. If you go to Brazil, say to the bane and they'll say to the bone and in the energy world slb has room to 30 what are you talking about i have no idea that does it for us we'll see you tomorrow Ashford. at five for more fast what? mad money starts right now this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do so you need a business partner just like you like fedex who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you that's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.